Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. the 155th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a fast out across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, guys? Uh, lots happening. Lots have already happened over the, over the Labor Day weekend. Um, I think, Matt, you and I opened a, a business called TV Mounters. Um, or if we didn't, we should, because uh, we mounted the most perfect TV I've ever seen uh, in, into a uh, a built-in set for my Kia. So that was my weekend uh, sandwich in between. That was watching a whole bunch of football. And I will say that I'm surprised by a lot of things. So it'll be an interesting show, to say the least. Well, another man, speaking of surprising things, the third amigo in the second city, a man who knows that the real Holy Trinity is the three of us here at Illegal Motion. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Uh, Yes, that is a reference to my new gig. I uh, switched schools. I'm now at Holy Trinity High School here in Chicago. And Coach, uh, they don't have a football program. So if you want to pull a Jim Levitt and start a prep program from scratch we'd love to have you all right i'll uh i'll put that down in my uh, mead marble notebook and uh we'll, we'll... <laughs> and then i'll put that marble notebook inside of my georgia trapper keeper <laughs> well uh you probably had the trapper keeper open this weekend when you were watching the game because there was a lot uh to keep track of and we're gonna get to some of those marquee matchups just a little bit later in the show, but first we're going to hit some quick slants. Uh, Josh Ball be in your hands first. Yeah, there were a couple Big Ten games I wanted to talk about that just didn't quite make the deep routes. Uh, the first one is uh, Illinois. God, football can be such a cruel, cruel sport. Mike Dudek, he's out for the year again with another knee injury. This comes after missing the 2015-16 seasons and most of the 2017 season, also with ACLs. Uh, it's a really, really sad end for a guy that led the league in receiving as a freshman back in 2014. Then Iowa, the defense looks good. Uh, I think they're going to be able to survive the graduating of all three linebackers. Minnesota's true freshman quarterback, Zach Anikstad, had a nice debut. But if he can continue to be clean in the interception column like he was on Saturday, Gophers do have some nice skill around him. And finally, not sure why Clayton Thorson had a pitch count on him. Uh, and it, quite frankly, almost cost Northwestern the game. But what I'm trying to figure out is if he can throw 26 passes, why can't he throw all 37 that Northwestern ultimately attempted in their win over Purdue? So that's some stuff that caught my eye, and here's a shameless plug. If you want to read more, my grades are already up there at BigTenAncounting.com. All right. Uh, Coach, uh, I know you saw something interesting in the Georgia game this weekend. Yeah, Um not only did our, uh, our transfer, he's not a grad transfer, uh, Demetrius Robinson, he showed out, by the way, 
took a 72-yard uh, jet sweep to the house. That's my tangent. That's just unfair, by the way, that you guys just get to bring in a five-star kid and he gets to play immediately. And it's it's I I feel I, I feel like I've been robbed. Loopholes, baby, loopholes. Um, so the thing that really stuck out to me, I mean, played Austin P. So it's not really you know a forty-five nothing thrashing is kind of what you expect in those type of matchups. But something I've never personally seen. I'm almost positive it's happened at some point, but the two coaches got together uh, during an injury timeout and discussed the possibility of a running clock. Well, the ref denied the running clock and instead shortened the quarter from 15 minutes to 10 minutes, something that I'd never seen before. And I was just like scratching my head going, well, I guess this is a good thing for Austin P. but man, is this strange. Have you guys ever seen that? Now I've seen the running clock. I, I can't think of a of a you like know never, college never, game being at a time crunch. Uh, might be something in prep football. I, I know for a long time Iowa had a mercy rule that if you're up by fifty at halftime, you just didn't play the second half. Well, so that's crazy. The NCAA bylaws state that any time during the game, the playing time of any remaining period or periods in the intermission between halves may be shortened by mutual agreement of the opposing head coaches and the referee, which is NCAA football rule 3-2-2-A. So if so so basically the the three of those men can get together and decide on some sort of shortening of the game. And I guess this can take multiple forms as to whatever they want to agree to. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess that was what they came to just shave five minutes off of it and just enough time to get some of the, uh, some of the young guys in and some of the guys that um, will probably end up taking a retro anyway. So uh, I just thought that was interesting. And, and uh, you know, I, I thought it was, What's is any? Have you encountered anyone who's mad about this? No, I, I think it's because you know. I imagine there's some people that that are that you know the the families of the kids that would normally get to play in you know <laughs> in the fourth quarter of one of those kind of beatdowns. So. But it's also probably just in the best interest of the health of the student athletes at that point. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, especially when it's it's such. You know how hot it was down yeah. south this saturday like people people were i heard that people in the north north uh side is the north side is the side that for afternoon games is in the sun of sanford stadium yeah and, and i heard people were dropping like flies because of the heat so um i totally understand that uh austin p had taken several injuries and one guy got carted off and i think that's that was the breaking point so mm-hmm. um you know good for them for kind of realizing hey you know, we don't need to make this more. Yeah, it's in, it's in the best interest of everyone at that point to just um, sort of quicken along. We all know what the yeah what what the ending is. Absolutely, and and uh, also within that game, the storyline is Justin Fields and Jake Fromm. I thought both played brilliantly. Uh, I don't know how much you can really take away from an FCS game like that uh, with both quarterbacks. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not you know how they rotate the snaps. Um, in the series like they did uh, with, with Austin P and, and just kind of see how they can get Justin Fields uh, worked into uh, Columbia. But they might need some of the veteran stuff from Fromm. So you may not see much of Justin Fields, but 
Um, I thought they both played brilliantly. I thought Miko played brilliantly. You know, they're swift. I mean, you know, all around, it was a great start for for the dogs. Well, I'll uh, tell you who was upset about those five minutes being gone. Who's that? It's hard to find FCS, FBS spreads. They're not at every sports book. Mm-hmm. But for the places that did have it, yep, the spread ranged from 46 points to 48 points. Yikes. So uh, probably some people that laid down money on the dogs were not happy. Okay, s- but, but I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you're laying down serious <laughs> money on Georgia minus 48, you have a problem that really needs to be addressed, bro. Like, seriously. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Hey, one of us has to be Brent Musburger minus the creepy comments. Uh, yeah, please, Brent, keep it in your pants. Signed. <laughs> All of college football fans. I can't believe Anyhow, yet another one. <laughs> my first slant, uh, I want to talk about the Pac-12. Uh, so those of you who listen to the show... Wait, isn't this normally where you talk about the American? Well, I, I'm switching it up here. It's it's a new season, Josh. You know, new traditions need to be Fair born. Uh, you guys know that while I am a Badger, I also have an allegiance to my grad school alma mater, UCLA. And I, for one, was probably a bit overly excited about the prospects of Chip Kelly as uh, the new coach. And, you know, to a certain degree, I still am. But I got to say, the debut of the newest head Bruin did not go quite as planned uh, at least for the night chip kelly got completely out coached by luke fickle uh, the injury to wilton spate obviously didn't really help matters but frankly freshman dorian thompson robinson looked uh better than spate did uh in his collegiate debut here but in you know this cincinnati team is one that we all thought was you know Probably, at best, a middle-of-the-pack American team, maybe a little bit better than that, but by no means one of the conference heavyweights. And in this game, the Bearcat defense was really stout. Uh, Chip Kelly's offense had barely 300 yards total. Um, The Bruins have got to wake up quick. They're in Norman this weekend, and I'm, I'm a little bit scared for them. Uh, but, you know, speaking of ugly, uh, the debut of Kevin Sumlin was not the experience that they were expecting when they hired him to replace Rich Rod. Uh, we're going to need to roll back the Heisman hype here just a little bit on the Khalil Tate bandwagon. He completed 50% of his passes for less than 200 yards uh, and ran the ball eight times for 14 yards. Technically, a- they can still win the Pac-12, so my pick yeah. is uh, not dead yet. They can, but they lost to BYU. Uh, BYU is, uh, this is not your uh, mid-80s BYU spot. Matt, 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 Matt. Wisconsin plays BYU this year. Do not jinx us. But I got to say, I previewed BYU for us this year. I said there one guy they could, who could do something on offense, Squally Canada. He showed out 127 yards and three scores for the Cougars. Is he on the all-name team? Oh, he's definitely on the all-name team. Squally Canada? Yeah. That's an adjective. <laughs> um, but, Josh, before we hit our second slant, you yeah. had a, a couple quick uh, questionable coaching moments. Yeah, this is a little bit of a new segment uh, where me being a bombastic blogger likes to rip on coaches, but I never really talked to them and asked them what they were thinking. But we have a coach. So, uh, I'm going to ask Coach about two games that caught my eye. 
and some of the coaching decisions and see what uh, our own offensive coordinator thinks. So, Coach, the first one is down there in Texas. SMU got rolled by North Texas. And the Pony defense was really good at stopping the run, and they held North Texas to just 68 rushing yards on 43 attempts. A large part of that was 14 tackles for loss. But the Mean Green are a pass-first team, and Mason Fine shredded them for 444 yards, three touchdowns, and zero interceptions. So, Coach, why would a team stay in that defense? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Maybe they felt like they needed to stop something. Uh, maybe they thought, well, if we make North Texas one-dimensional, uh, maybe we have a chance. But what they failed to realize is that that one dimension they forced them into was by far their best. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think North Texas, I think North Texas would have a hard time rushing for 60 something yards against air at practice. Um, <laughs> that's how little they probably rely on, uh, on the run. Game. So, but they still ran what they still had. What? 43 rushing attempts. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's just, a, it's an odd game all around. Cause why run it 43 times? But they probably ran with all this passing. They probably what, – what was the what was the total total plays? Uh, 93. 93 total plays. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a little under half of your uh, halfway run game. So, I, I guess it – I guess in a way it's balanced. But still, I mean, come on. But there, 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 there's balance to keep a defense guessing, and then there's balance just for the sake of balance. And in that case, I don't think that really does anything for you if just – balancing to say that you're balanced yeah. but when you're so yeah, much more effective no, passing I, the ball I, yeah. I i don't understand the lack of adjustment if you're getting just if you're getting just torched through the air why 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 don't you adjust i i would have gone to a four two five um because i know they probably have that defense at some point i would have i would have put a, an extra db in there covered the pass and brought pressure with six guys and and been you know kind of been the best of both worlds because you know you got your down lineman for the forty-three uh, rushing attempt, and then you got your five DBs playing whatever coverage you want them to play to disrupt the passing game, and then your six guys you can start blitzing those other two linebackers a little bit and and, and force Mason finding some pressure throws. Why didn't they do that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, my other questionable coaching decision comes from our good friend uh, Coach GQ down there at Texas. Heck. Uh, so this caught my eye. Uh, fourth quarter, or excuse me, tail end of the third quarter, um, down 10 points, 37-27. Red Raider defense struggling all day. Um, Texas Tech goes for a fourth and five at about midfield, giving the Land Sharks a real short field. Um, why did they go for it there instead of trying to pin – Ole Miss deep, and then uh, after that short field, Ole Miss makes it a 17-point game, 44-27. Texas Tech has a nice long drive that gets down to fourth and goal at the Ole Miss 14. So they're looking at a touchdown or bust, down 17, go for it on fourth down instead of making it a two-score game with a field goal. And just for reference, there was nine minutes and 17 seconds left in the game when they had that failed fourth and goal from the 14. So 
why go for it on either of those downs right there, coach? Well, the, the fourth and five at midfield, uh, you know, I, I guess he felt pretty, pretty good about his offense and, and, and maybe, you know, fourth and five is a good makeable distance. I kind of get that. Um, you know, I, I don't really love it being at midfield, but I mean, you know, at that point they can score from the, they can score from the 20 or the five yard line, just as easy as they could have scored from the 50. So you're down what 10 points at that point. Go for it. How they work. Catch lightning in a bottle there. Okay. I totally get that one. Um, and, and, you know, maybe he has a good four, maybe he has a good five yard play he can call and uh, maybe he felt good about it. And hey, sometimes you got to roll the dice. You know, sometimes you got a big risk, big reward type deal. Um, so I don't mind that one so much. What, what I do mind is it's fourth and goal from the 14. You're down 17 and you have just, just a touch under 10 minutes left. Maybe he thought he needed bigger chunks to put more pressure on Ole Miss. I don't know, but you got in that situation, you got to take the points. I agree with you guys there. You got to take the points because that's a terrible down and distance. Fourth and 14 is just not, you know, because they can just, honestly, they can just picket fence you and just line everybody up across the goal line and say, hey, do whatever you want. We're just going to stand here at the goal line and we're going to bum rush you and, and tackle you. So, um, you know, they, the defense was completely had the upper hand, probably maybe a 98% chance of stopping them there, um, barring a complete disaster in coverage. Uh, not a good situation. Take the points. You're down. You're still down two scores anyway. Um, whether whether or not you uh, kick the field goal or get the touchdown, you're down score. So why not go? You know why not take the points, kick it, hope your defense, you know, finds a spark and let's roll and, and, and let's get in the end zone next time. So, coach, final verdict: Our bloggers like me who follow SMU and Texas Tech just final, final verdict: rip their uh, coaches apart. Final final verdict, okay? First scenario, um, a big, like, two hands out, what the hell, okay? Uh, scenario two, part A, uh, I give I give GQ a thumbs up there. I probably would have done the same. Um, part two of scenario two, uh, another, like, hands out, like, come on, dude, take the points. <laughs> let's just take some points and let's just get something going in the right direction that completely deflated his team. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's get through our second round of short slants. Uh, and Josh, that is off to you. Yeah, it is. So we had our usual blowouts, close calls and upsets by our FCS brethren over FBS team. So I want to hand out some quick hardware from the FCS upset. So in North Carolina, A&T's win over the East Carolina Purple Pirates, the Aggies had only 269 yards at 14 penalties for 113 yards, yet they managed to win 28-23. All of that was thanks to Mac McCain third having 11 tackles, 10 of them solo, and a 100-yard pick six. The Lumberjacks of Northern Arizona took down the UTEP Miners in one of the best uh, nickname bowls possible. Uh, they won 30-10. to and even though NAU's D was stout with five sacks and eight tackle for a loss, how about Emmanuel Butler having 138 of his team's 211 rushing or passing yards um, and both touchdowns? So nice day by their wideout. In a battle of Philly uh, basketball schools, 
Villanova took down Temple 19-17, thanks to an offense putting up 150 more yards than the Owls, and a large part of that was Zach Bednarsik's big day going 29-40, of had three touchdowns and one interception. Nice day by that quarterback. But speaking about big passing days, how about UC Davis's Jack Meyer having 446 passing yards, three TDs and just one pick as Davis knocked off San Jose State. And finally, our friends at Kansas. Uh, They had some issues on their own track, losing to Nichols State 26-23. Nichols played some great D, but how about some special teams love, Matt? I know you like that. Third phase. Yeah, Nichols kicker Lauren Fonseca hit both of his field goals, including a 43-yarder to tie the game with 47 seconds left. Of course, OT nicely done by the first batch of FCS winners this season. Might not be the last time we see that happen this year. No, even this coming week, I think there are a couple of uh, potential upsets there. But, uh, Coach, I know you were intrigued, not necessarily by the Washington State-Wyoming game, but what was said by uh, Mike Leach after. Yeah, uh, you know, the Pirate just does not disappoint. Um, by the way, uh, side note, they won 41 to 19 out of Laramie, but yeah, but it took them a little while to get going. That was, uh, that, that was a great game in the first two quarters. Well, yeah, so it, it really was, it, it, I kind of flipped to it occasionally just to kind of see what it, they would look like post Luke Falk. So, um, a question was asked to Mike Leach, um, about Wyoming's elevation and kind of what that would do. And Mike Leach said this, I sold a bunch of jackalopes to people to this day from back east that think there are spots out west where jackrabbits actually have horns. Uh, anybody, uh, care to, anybody care to translate that? <laughs> yeah, say it one more time. He says. So he's asked about altitude. Okay. He's asked about altitude, right? And he, yeah. he quotes. I sold a bunch of jackalopes to so people. sold some animals to? To people to this day. To people from, to this day. From back east that so, think there are spots out west where jackrabbits actually have horns. So he is saying He's that, saying the altitude didn't matter and that if you're worried about that, you're like an easterner buying animals that don't exist. Yes, you're buying into into some sort of uh, false belief. Yes, some false hype. So you're buying into into false hype. So he doesn't doesn't believe in in the horned rabbit. No, he doesn't. And he doesn't believe that the the elevation in Laramie is is an issue either. So um, also what was interesting about this game is they're the first team that I've ever seen use what's called the swinging gate formation at midfield. Usually that is an extra point uh, high school thing to where because you can't return uh, a botched extra point you can't there's no there's none of that you re- you whatever uh, but this this seemed to be the igniter um, in Washington State they were down 19 to 13 at this point this is in the third quarter he calls this bizarre formation um, and it. It might have been called the Bananas Formation. I don't know. But um, he called a formation where uh, a wide receiver snapped the ball. He had the entire offensive line, quarterback, everything uh, lined up at 
uh, on the numbers, right? So you had your two wideouts standing pretty much on the sideline. You had your entire offensive line in formation uh, on the numbers, basically. So left tackle started at the bottom of the numbers. Your right tackle was halfway between the numbers and the hash. And your quarterback was standing behind the, the angled behind the center, your tailback directly behind him. Uh, you had actually a third receiver go in motion, and the snapper ends up snapping it to the tailback, who ends up running inside zone. So what happened is they, they did this for two plays in a row, uh, and then they eventually, uh, that ignited them to 28 unanswered points uh, in their 41-19. to 19. And they got, I mean, they got, they got both five yards in both those plays. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. They they got marginal. It's not that they're doing huge chunks, but they were. That was their most effective way of running the ball, which was, uh, you know, quite uh, uh, an unusual problem to have in uh, today's uh, in, in today's game. Well, what but, I'll tell you, what I found interesting on both plays is they had some, uh, you know, movement option. I think there's more stuff out of that formation that the Pirates gonna unleash. I can only hope so. That oh, would... there, there's there's definitely going to be a play because you can see the quarterback dashing back towards the the wide side of the field. There's going to be a play where where the jet guy comes across and runs some route, and the quarterback catches it, dashes it, and throws it uh, with a one on one with this cornerback. So I could see that coming. I really hope that we see more of that this year, and uh, I, I love the innovation. Uh, and they you know, called it actually. You know what they called it? They called that? it. Big gulp left. Big gulp. Big gulp. That's the big it. gulp formation. All right. Well, speaking of altitude, uh, I wanted to talk about the Mountain West uh, because I was impressed with uh, a lot of the teams from the conference this weekend, even despite a, a couple losses, uh, one of which by the Fighting Bobos to their Centennial State rival in the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Uh, outside of them, the Mountain West definitely showed up in a pretty big in a lot of places. Let's start with Hawaii, which, for my money, the best story of the season so far. Nick Rolovich has his alma mater at 2-0 behind quarterback Cole McDonald, who has thrown for 846 yards and nine touchdowns in two games. The Rainbows blasted the middies this past weekend to the tune of 59-41. Josh, tell me if this is too soon, but I think it's safe to say this was uh, the worst defeat for the Navy in Hawaii since Pearl Harbor. <laughs> well, it's not too soon. That's a very solid joke. Okay. Uh, continuing on, Boise State went into Troy and put on a clinic against a strong Trojan squad. Brett Rippon celebrated his Diamond Jubilee season by going 20 for 28 for 305 yards and four touchdowns, two of which went to Sean Modster. He had 167 yards receiving. Even in a loss, Utah State also showed that they are not uh, to be whoa, trifled whoa, with. Whoa, whoa, I got to throw a challenge flag on this segment right now, Matt. What's that? You do the wonderful Pearl Harbor joke. You missed the Boise State Broncos, a horse, eating Trojans in Troy. What are you doing? You know what? That's overlooked. So I guess those those two are going to offset, and we're going to (laughs) start back even uh, to talk about Utah State. Uh, They're not to be trifled with, guys. Uh, They gave Sparty all he could handle in East Lansing, even though they couldn't run the ball at all against D'Antonio's defense. They had 25 yards on 25 carries. The Aggies still were able to stay in this one to the bitter, bitter end. Um, 
So, uh, but like I said, I, I was worried about uh, the fighting Bobos, but that leads though into our pop quiz, gentlemen. So in case you missed it, and if you did miss week zero, I don't blame you. It was, you know, it, it wasn't really college football until this past weekend. So, but if you missed it, KJ Carter Samuels made his debut at quarterback for said fighting Bobos in week zero. The transfer from Washington through for 537 yards and five touchdowns in his first game uh, in their loss to Hawaii. He's the 22nd player since the turn of the century to throw for 450 yards on opening day. So, gentlemen, name the 21 other players to do so who have thrown for 450 yards in their team's first game of the season. 450-yard um, opening day games in oh, college football. Yes. There are 21. Uh, well, there are 22. One of them is KJ Carter-Samuels. I'm going to give you guys a hint. Uh, Mike Leach, who we just talked about, uh, he's going to show up a lot in terms of coaching these guys. So, <laughs> um, gotta be. Okay. So, uh, Coach, <laughs> I am going to uh, go. I, I'm going to send it over to you for the first guess. Uh, I'm going to guess uh, same school, uh, Timmy Chang. He's got to be one of them. Uh, Timmy Chang, unfortunately, is not one of them. Street continues. All right, so the hint was that uh, you said the Pirates had. The Pirate, yeah. Pirates, had, Pirates coached a lot of these guys. All right, so I am going to say the current Texas Tech coach is one of those people that did it. Give me give me GQ, Cliff Kingsbury. No, he did not. I'm sorry. He does not show up in the – He's he did not throw for even 400. Why is he coaching then? What, like what's his – He's very handsome. Coach, second guess. Very handsome. Even with his befuddled look. Um, <laughs> okay. Dadgummit. Uh, Graham Harrell. That is correct. Graham Hill, uh, he threw for 536 yards in a win over Eastern Washington in 2008. All right. I'm off the schneid. There you go. Josh. Nice. Hmm. I am going to leave Texas Tech but stay in the conference and go with everyone's favorite 45-year-old, the weed man. Brandon Whedon. No, sorry, he did not. He is not. He never threw for 400 on opening day. Coach, I've got your yips, evidently. Yes, you do. You watched me on the driving room. That's a bad idea. Um, okay, so many of them, Matt said, were coached by Mike Leach. So one of those that were coached by Mike Leach, he actually played in the SEC that year. Uh, I'm going to go with Tim Couch. Ooh, Tim Couch. Sorry. Uh, Tim Couch did not make it. Did not make the cut. Josh, you need to get one right in order to stay in the game. Come on, man. All right. I'm going to roll the dice with Texas Tech again. Mm-hmm. Roll them dice. And say – Current Chiefs quarterback Brandon, or not Brandon, uh, uh, Patrick 
Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes is correct. 483 right. yards on the opening day 2016 right. and a win over Stephen F. Austin. I'm like Sly Stallone and Cliffhanger. I'm holding on. Patrick Mahomes. Mm. So are we out of are we out of uh pirate quarterbacks? Oh no. We're not even close to out of pirate quarterbacks. Oh shit. Luke Falk. Got to be one of them. Luke, Luke that Falk was is, my next guess. Luke Falk is a really good guess. He topped out at 418, though. Oh. So, Josh, for the win. Really? I feel like I, oh. I feel like Coach has two right, and I have one wrong. Or one right. No, Coach has one right. You have one right. Oh, okay. Hmm. 450 on opening day. 450 on opening day. 450 on opening day. Let's see. Come on, Josh, get it wrong so I can win. <laughs> uh, I am going to go a little off reservation and say that JT Barrett might have done it. JT Barrett? That was a, 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 a bold choice. A bold choice that went very wrong. What was his best opening day? I mean, it's not over 400. Probably got 400 total yards, but. All right. All right. Uh, so I'm going to go with current TCU. This is for the win. Yeah. I'm going to go with current. No. I don't know where the hell he's coaching. Um, he was at TCU at one point, uh, I think last year. Sonny Cumbie. Sonny Cumbie, well done, sir. Sonny Cumbie, 470 yards in a win over Southern Methodist, opening day 2004. Nice. Well, you know. Josh? You win some. No, Josh, you can actually tie here. You can, you can still oh, tie here. Oh, um, okay. Let's see. I got to be honest, I've exhausted – Higher coaches, so I'm gonna go off the radar. I'm gonna go off the radar a little bit again. I'm gonna say that Steve Spurrier coached him up. I'm gonna say Danny Warfel. Nope, sorry, (laughs) Danny Warfel did not make it. Also, this was uh, Jay Simmons. That was uh, the fastest nope. <laughs> nope. Um, I will tell you, uh, the, the record, Brandon Doty out at Western Kentucky, 569 yards and six touchdowns against mm. Bowling Green. KJ Carter-Samuels was number two. Uh, coach mentioned Graham Harrell. Some other uh, leech disciples you missed. Connor Halliday from Washington State a couple of years back. two over Rutgers. Um, uh, not a uh, reason for that. You got Patrick Mahomes. You got Sonny Cumbie. Um, Cody Hodges at Texas Tech. Davis Webb at Texas Tech. Davis um, Webb. Josh, blast from the past. Juice Williams at Illinois. Ooh, the juice. Yep. Uh, um, amongst the others who did it. Also, uh, last year's uh, first uh, uh, first rounder, uh, Josh Rosen. Um, mm. was in there, uh, Kenny Trill, Jared Goff's in there twice, Ryan Nassib, uh, Derek Carr, Christian Ryan Hackenberg, Nass- and Brett Bazinet. So, wait, Christian Hackenberg had more yards in a season opener than he does in the NFL. Oh, far and away, even if you include preseason. <laughs> so, all right, with that, let's hit some deep, let's hit some deep roots, guys. Let's do it. 
Last game of the weekend provided a true exclamation point. Virginia Tech went down into the doke on Monday night and absolutely manhandled the Knolls. This is about as poor a debut as you could possibly imagine for Willie Taggart. Coach, how do you address this type of defeat in the locker room, especially after all the hype and the buildup leading into it? I think the only way that you could really spin this positively would be to say that, you know, it's a wake-up call, but let's face it, they got their butts handed to them on a maroon and orange platter. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, a, it's a definite wake-up call that, hey, we, we, we aren't as good as we thought, and, and we just got to go back to the drawing board and just kind of see what works. And there's only one way to climb out of this hole, and that's just some good old-fashioned elbow grease and, and getting some uh, – just getting after it in practice. Yeah, well, speaking of the elbow grease, Josh, uh, one of the things that we were we were all texting during this game last night when it was going on, one of the things that you noted was that the Florida State offensive line was just awful. Yeah, that was that was the Knowles' biggest weakness a year ago. I know they went through a coaching change, but absolutely no development there. Um, I, I thought one hilarious stat that uh, that really typified the struggles that DeAndre Francois had with a pocket and Cam Akers had in running the ball. Uh, what was the longest run for Cam Akers last oh, night, you guys? It was like that 84-yard one or whatever it was, like the really long one. Yep. It, was eight, yeah. it was 85 yards, yeah. Yeah. How many total yards did he end with? <laughs> like 89, I think. Well, let me, let me yeah, like, like I want to say like 92. A- 82. Oh, God. His longest rush was more yards than his yards for the game. Oh, my God. I mean, look, you can say Francois was off with three picks. You know, you can say that they were in a horrible field position all night long. That's true. But drop Florida State down at the 30 and give them 30 yards. I think they're moving backwards and missing a field goal. It was that kind of day. The offensive line was horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there were a lot of questionable coaching decisions that happened during this game. One of them, obviously, the uh, – uh, going hurry up after what appeared to be a, a touchdown that was ruled down at the one. Um, that was, you know. Yeah, someone upstairs, someone upstairs has got to be in Taggart's ear saying, slow down, slow down, slow down. That's yeah, and like, you know, what, and I don't, I mean, coach, you, I, I mean, obviously you're, you're at the high school level, but you're still, you're running an up-tempo offense. I know you are always trying to get pace, but I mean, what's the reasoning for, for going for pace, especially in that situation? He didn't know it was a. T- he didn't know it was that close. I guarantee you, that's what. I it think was. they saw the ball also pop out at the end and thought, "Ooh, if there's a review, it might turn out to be VTech ball." Yeah, they had no idea that it was in his favor, and nobody yeah. was in his ear telling him. I no. guarantee that it happened. And you know what's funny? I mean, I think Florida State's offensive line played so poorly, and that it totally negates some of the goofs by the refs. But uh, that was a time where the refs should have reviewed it. But also. Uh, Virginia Tech has to be a little bit bummed too. I caught a Florida State player throwing a punch that <laughs> resulted in no flag. Yeah, it was that kind of night uh, down there in Tallahassee. So um, uh, let's head though next to uh, what was uh, at least the biggest game of the weekend going in, and it did not disappoint. Uh, Auburn run won a uh, rough and tumble contest in Hot Lana over the Huskies. Josh, the only real difference in the stat line between these two teams was the turnover battle. So can we just chalk this one up to Washington coughing up twice and Auburn, you know, not turning it all, not turning it over at all? I mean, that's part of it. Also, just a, a rough, rough day 
in the red zone for Washington, including one of those turnovers coming on a uh, Jake Browning fumble in the red zone. Uh, you know, you flip that, Washington wins this game probably by several scores, and we're going, holy cow, Washington's on their way to the playoffs. So, you know, nice job by the Auburn defense to, to playing great when you're packed in tight. Uh, Washington got to figure out a few things, and uh, hey, maybe maybe there's a play from Chris Peterson's past that might work against an overeager defense you know, something maybe along the lines of the Statue of Liberty. Just Washington really didn't seem to have any of that uh, wrinkle thrown in their game once they got inside the 20. They were playing really basic and can't do that against Auburn. No, I mean, this game really played out like we thought it was going to. We, we knew it was going to be a, a defensive front slugfest, and it was going to come down to Jake Browning versus Jared Stidham. Uh, and Jared Stidham was the one that came out on top Surprisingly, he was 26 of 36, 273 yards. He had a uh, he had a 10 yard touchdown pass to Sal Canella. Um, that sounds like a that sounds like a disease. Eating raw meat, um, but uh, you know Auburn's defense was nothing short of impressive. Uh, they held Miles Gaskin in check for the most part. Um, it was ugly, and that's what Auburn. That's the kind of game that you don't want to get into Auburn with. You know, if you get into an ugly defensive struggle with Auburn, they will win. That's 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 what they do most of the time. And that defensive line, oh my goodness, that that was that was an impressive display of of defensive line play. Yeah, that was uh, that was overwhelming. It didn't help that Trey Adams ha- had to go out for the Huskies. Um, he's their best offensive lineman, and he was uh, sidelined for a significant portion of the game. So. Yeah, and, I, look, I, and Matt, if you look at the stats, you know you're going to see 17 carries for 75 yards, but a lot of those yards were scattered. Uh, he only they they only gave him the uh, 17 carries, so usually that's that's a good indicator of they couldn't go to him as much uh, as as they wanted to. So um, they didn't really have the ball all that much. So I mean, hats off to Auburn, I guess. Yeah, no, hats off to Auburn. Uh, I, I think that they had as impressive of, of a win as anyone, you know, did in the country this weekend considering the competition. Uh, but uh, one of the things, though, that we've touched on already in the show is some rough debuts. And there was another one uh, in Shea Patterson's first game in the Maze and Blue against Touchdown Jesus. Uh, hmm. The game itself was not the prettiest on the eyes, but uh, Brandon Wimbush did enough to secure the W for the Irish in a battle of uh, the most overrated head of uh, two most overrated head coaches in college football. <laughs> uh, Jim Harbaugh Ooh, is now. I didn't nine. realize. I didn't realize Tom Herman was on the field in this game. Um, Jim Harbaugh is now nine and nine in his last eighteen games. Uh, for context, Nick Saban is one hundred and nine in his last one hundred and nine games. Uh, Josh, what on earth is happening in Ann Arbor? Uh, it's real simple. Michigan can't win road games against ranked teams. They're now 0-17 in their last 17 games on the road against teams appearing in a top 25 poll. Uh, yeah, Shea Patterson, you know, he was 20 of 30, 227. That's not horrible. No touchdowns, the one pick. Uh, you know, I think you can live with that if he's making better plays with his feet. 
uh, something he could do but at he, all. He just he, he didn't, didn't look no. steady when. Uh, he he, yeah, I know he completed sixty six percent of his passes, but um, he just looked frazzled, more frazzled than I can ever remember him looking at Ole Miss. And now maybe yeah. that's you know I, I don't know what the reason well, for that is. Michigan's biggest Michigan's biggest weakness is that O line, and um, it, it's and just he like, looks scared to death. Um, you know, it's he also just might not be trusting his body. He's coming back from a devastating injury. True. Less than a year ago. Um, but, you know, for, for Michigan, you know, Harbaugh wants to have this Stanford 2.0 bruising running game. Doesn't have the offensive line for it. And uh, Green Higdon's a nice back, but I don't think he's holds a candle to any of the Stanford backs that Harbaugh got to enjoy. So th- they don't have the offensive line. They don't have the rushing personnel for that. As a result, it makes it – very, very difficult for the quarterback. To me, the bigger concern that I have if I'm going to be a Michigan fan is, holy cow, where was the defense? This is a defense that was third in the country a year ago, returned practically everyone. Notre Dame races out to that 14 nothing lead. They score 21 points in the first half. And the second half, Notre Dame just kind of looks around. They're like, oh, wait, we, we can just play really conservative not put Wimbush in dangerous positions and just coast to victory. And where was the defense? I'm totally baffled by that. Uh, coach, yeah, I, if, I, if you're, if you're in the situation where you, you know, have this poor offensive line, um, you know, what, what does Jim Harbaugh need to do in terms of scheming around that? Then Spread them out, do things to help. The offensive line not have to block loaded boxes, uh, make quick throws so they're not having to sit there and protect for three, four seconds, and then just tempo. You know, he's got to go with tempo. He's got to he's got to do things that some of the lesser people I don't want to say lesser people, but like the the lower levels do when they face these big teams or when they're when they're outmatched, you know, personnel wise. Do all those things. Go tempo. Just help your offensive line out. You know, you you you, you can't you can't be a battering ram offense um, with a spread offensive line. Like I learned that like last year that I learned from last year to this year that this is my Hillwood team that we were awful at down blocking and pulling and kicking and pulling and wrapping. So guess what? I did not do any of so far. Down blocking, down blocking, kicking, and pulling, pulling and, wrapping. and wrapping. I did not try to run a spread wing team. I did what I'm doing, what we are truly good at, and that is slinging the ball around the yard about 75% of the time. And guess what? We've scored 108 points. Now, if we could, you know, if we could have a little bit more uh, good fortune on defense, which I, I wholeheartedly believe that we have fixed, um, and I think we're going to start to see some results out of it. Um, we're going to be hell on wheels. It's called playing to your strengths and knowing your strengths and not being stubborn. And Jim Harbaugh is being stubborn. And I can't get behind that. I can't say, hey, you know, this, uh, you know, at some point, all right, dude, enough. Do something that works. And and I mean, just to include, you know, some more stuff about Jim Harbaugh and, and, you know, kind of what's happened. He started with back-to-back 10-win seasons, but that 2015 team had a grad transfer, Jake Rudock. I know Iowa fans were never enamored with him maybe as much as we could have been or should have been. Maybe he wasn't coached 
well enough in the Iowa, in an Iowa uniform, but as a kid who played Big Ten football for many years, knew how to run a competent offense. So that was a good quarterback. Then in 2016, they won 10 games again. Uh, they had, uh, you know, they started out undefeated, but other than the Wisconsin game, which they barely won 14 to seven, that was a joke of a schedule. Uh, so maybe that, that 10 win team wasn't as good as really advertised. Uh, they also had some injuries late against Ohio state, but the, the rest of these, the rest of these teams, they, they just have not had a quarterback. We thought Shea Patterson would fix that. He can't with that offensive line. And just as this thing kind of continues to just be stuck in the mud, can't help but shake that feeling that, you know, holy crap, David Shaw's kept Stanford amazing. You can even argue he's improved on what Jim Harbaugh left. What if Shaw was the 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 real brains behind that operation? And Harbaugh makes a great cheerleader, makes a great front man, makes a great dare I say CEO, like the uh, the head man down at Arizona State. But maybe X's and O's wise, Harbaugh isn't as good as we thought. Well, maybe, but uh, one of the guys we've never thought is as great with X's and O's, and that's uh, our favorite swamp creature. And he was sighted down in the greater Dallas metro area on Sunday night. Uh, LSU behind in another outstanding night for Dave Aranda's defense, uh, including a pick six from local uh, Nashville prep player uh, Jacob Phillips. Uh, the Bayou Bengals won this game handily, and it, honestly, it, it ended 33-17, to 17, but it wasn't nearly that close. Uh, Coach, what why wasn't Mark Richt able to get the ball moving at all against the Tiger defense? He just had no answer for them flying around and blitzing, and he just, for whatever reason, I, I don't know, I don't know what was going on there. That it, it just, they just had their number. I mean, it didn't matter what they did. It, it just seemed like uh, they were guessing right. It seemed like he was. I don't know. Uh, it kind of reminded me of some of these games uh, that he's had at Georgia. Uh, kind of reminds me a lot of the Florida games that I witnessed, where uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, it just they're just flat out better than you. There's nothing you can do about it, and they may not be. They may not be better than you yesterday. They may not be better than you tomorrow. But on that day, it just every time a team just gets juiced up and amped up like that like LSU did, it just seems like he has no answer. And it, it kind of goes into a shell. It gets ultra conservative and, and I don't know. It just seems like they just suck the life out of him so easily. And it doesn't help that they had a lot of penalties, a lot of just stuff that they, you know, self-inflicted wound type stuff. Yeah. Josh, Joe Burrow looked serviceable, I guess, for LSU. Yeah, that's a that's a kind of kind of way to put it, I guess. I don't uh, know. He he was he was equally competent to the level of quarterbacking we've seen at LSU over the past half decade. Decade. Hell, I thought he was MVP caliber compared to what they've been trotting out there. So there's that. Um, Brosset was incredible. Yeah, he was, and I, I think for Miami, we're just sort of seeing shades of. Uh, they have no O line. Well, not only do they have no O-line, but shades of what happened last year towards the end of the season and, and the bowl game, 
which is a very, very opportunistic defense. Those turnovers last year in that hot start hit a lot of deficiencies, and LSU just did not turn over the ball. They rushed for 156 yards. Uh, You mentioned Brissett having 125 of that. Uh, No giveaways by the Bayou Bengals against uh, Wisconsin in the bowl game. 10-point game, very similar story, Jonathan Taylor, 130 rush yards, uh, no turnovers by the Badgers in that bowl game. And Miami's a good team. They'll rebound. But until they are stronger on the offensive line and stronger at stopping you defensively in ways other than takeaways, they're not – on the par with the elite teams and programs that are at least elite in the offensive line, like LSU can, can feast on this hurricane team. Yeah. I, I was impressed with the way they were just able to, to push around Miami's defensive line, who I thought coming into the year was, was one of the better units in the country. And uh, I'm now questioning, you know, a, a lot of what I thought about Miami because I thought LSU was going to be fine but uh, I, I guess I should have realized that Dave Aranda is now down in, I think it's his third or fourth season down there at LSU. I think it's his third season. And he's proving yet again why he is the highest paid coordinator in the country. Uh, I mean, we saw what he could do with, you know, mid-level recruits at Wisconsin, turning that into one of the nation's best defenses. And now with four and five-star kids from, all over the Southeast who want to come play in his schemes. I mean, that, that defense is going to be nasty as long as he's there. Now that he's really fully implemented everything that, uh, you know, in, in his arsenal. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say about the game, and it's sort of a question for coach, but uh, when Rick was at Georgia, was he really loyal to, to starting guys? Did he, was he? Yes, he was. Yeah. And I think you're seeing shades of that again. Um, I'm not saying Malik Rozier loses his starting gig, but when you're struggling the way the Canes were, just, you know, maybe spice it up. Maybe get your players looking at each other going, oh, boy, you know, we got we to gotta start playing better. Otherwise, coach is going to take us out of games. And Rozier was just kind of sent out there routinely in his – I mean, his QBR was 12.8 for a reason, you guys. Yeah. And, and that, that's, I don't, it, it's odd and it's, and it's typical of Rick all in the same token because the year that Matt Stafford was a freshman, they, he flip flopped series by series with Joe Cox and Matt Stafford. And then, uh, you know, every other year it felt like it didn't matter. Uh, he was going to stick with the, with the guy he had starting. So uh, that's just kind of his biggest. Achilles' heel is his stubbornness and loyalty to a fault. Uh, he does the same with assistant coaches as well. Um, there's situations that are clearly aren't working, and he it takes that just avalanche of ineptitude to finally get him to uh, quote or to pull the proverbial trigger. All right. Well, for our last deep route, uh, we're going to head over to College Park, Maryland, where, as predicted right here on this very show by our very own Josh Cook, Maryland took down Texas 34-29. to Josh, how the Dirty Terps pull off this one? 
Well, there's uh, some fundamentals in football that are important. One is third down efficiency. Longhorns went three of 15 on that. Another is penalties. Texas had three more penalties than Maryland, 10 to 7. But uh, the penalty yardage wasn't very close. 102 for the Longhorns, 44 for the Turtles. Turnovers, 3-4 Texas, nada for Maryland. And so Maryland had a, not a very good day running the ball, to say the least, uh, but uh, a tremendous effort by Kasim Hill. Great to see him healthy, uh, clean on the interception sheet, obviously. One touchdown, 222 yards. He played really well. And then just having a little bit better fundamentals, frankly, was uh, was the difference. And this is why I've been off the Herman bandwagon. I don't get the hype. Houston got worse with him despite their roster getting better. Um, you know, it's – it's fundamentals. It's how do you have this many penalties? How do you cough the ball up? How do how do you put your quarterback in such a bad position? Uh, they they kept Sam Englinger in there. He's you know two bad interceptions uh, in the fourth quarter. Maryland was rushing two guys, having a spy, and dropping eight, and Texas had no response for it and. To me, that's coaching hats off to Matt Canada. I thought athlete to athlete, Maryland wasn't that far from Texas. But in terms of coaching, give me an interim coach over the millionaire that is strip club Tom Herman. Wow. Um, I don't know how I'm going to follow that up, but uh, you, this this kind of just tells you where Maryland's culture is also. and I, Again, that's one of my favorite words, I know, but <laughs> – um, it just goes to show you hashtag that. culture season two. Yes, there you go. Uh, the culture with illegal motion college football podcast. The culture part two. Um, it just wait, wait, hold on. Uh, by the way, we are not trying to rip off Migos in any way, shape, or form. No, we're not. <laughs> um, so, or maybe we are. I don't know. Uh, we'll let you decide. Uh, follow us on Twitter and let us know. Um, Matt, give us the handle. At illegal under uh, at illegal underscore motion. There you go. I'll get it right one day. Um, so <laughs> it just this just goes really to show you that the guy the 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 Maryland players just really rallied around Matt Canada and and wanted to make the plays for him. So and Matt Canada, with as brash as he is, I think that's kind of what gets him into trouble, and that's kind of why he's bounced around because he's really hard to work work with, and he's really hard to have him as an assistant, but. He might be showing me a little something here as, as the head man, and he, you know, with this victory, that's put him in good shape for the the permanent gig. So, who knows? You know, maybe Maryland goes to a bowl. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to expect out of this Maryland team now. I, I thought it was going to be kind of a dead season, but I'm, I'm I'm starting to kind of rethink that. Well, Josh, I know that coming into the season, you Luke thought Luke. that, you know, Maryland, you know, outside of the coaching, obviously the, the DJ Durkin, uh, Jordan McNair uh, tragedy, mm-hmm. uh, you thought that this team had you know, uh, quite a bit of talent. Yeah, I mean, not not terribly deep. So much like last year, if the injury bug comes around College Park again, you're going to be in a world of hurt, but uh, – you know, Kasim Hill's a really good young quarterback. Uh, 
a very serviceable offensive line, probably better than Michigan's offensive line for frame of reference. And, you know, that's, that's big, bad, amazing blue. Uh, defense has some really nice pieces. You saw them, like I mentioned, schematically do some really good things with dropping eight and making Texas totally neutralized in their passing game late in that, that tangle. And, yeah, I mean, if Maryland stays healthy, I have them making a bowl game and in my best-case scenario where it's like a dream season and everything breaks their way, I could have seen a path for them to do what Iowa did a few years ago and have this magical 12-0 and season that no one expected. They're, they're really, you know, they're an impressive team in many ways. They just got to stay healthy. Yeah, I'm I'm happy for Matt Canada. He's a guy I've liked for a long time and thought that he's gotten kind of a bad rap. And I'm excited that f- for him that he is, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's not obviously it's terrible circumstances under which to have your first head coaching gig. But I think he's someone who has been deserving of one for a while now. And it's a, you know, it, it's a strange way that it's gotten here. But I think that he's the type of, you know, very sort of calming, influence that could be really good for this program right now and could be a you know a natural fit there given his proclivity to be uh, experimental on offense and you know I think that he's going to be able to use the guys that he's there that he has there in ways that will be most effective to their talents he's always shown that he is you know pretty adaptable uh, no matter where he's been so Mm Um, but yeah, so I think that's re- going to do it for us here on our week one recap, Josh, uh, any final words? Uh, yeah, we, we did it again. And what, I'm what, so, what did we do, Josh? We buried the lead. No, we did. Um, so Chad Morris's yeah, debut be better than this. Yeah, I know. Chad- I, know. I, I, I try to think of everything <laughs> when I put together the rundown and just somehow I just, the Razorbacks just slipped yep. my mind. Yeah, Chad Morris's debut. They uh, beat up on Eastern Illinois, fifty-five to twenty. And uh, Chad Morris likes to pass, 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 and get four passing touchdowns. But let's give uh, let's give some love, really, to the man who who made it possible for this team, and that's Connor Limpert. He drilled all two of his field goals, all seven of his extra points. We got an early grows of Canada, gentlemen. All right. Uh, uh, and for EIU, Tony Romay walking through those doors. No, but his uh, his younger brother is, so that's interesting. Oh, gosh. I'm just making that up. I have no idea if Tony Romo's brother <laughs> is on the I, roster. I think, I, I don't I, I think even Tony Romo's younger brother is far too old to be in Eastern Illinois right now. I don't even know if Tony Romo has a brother. It, it doesn't matter, Coach. Any final words from you? Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. Well, on uh, uh, the, prof- uh, the profound musings of our own uh, coach, offensive coordinator, Corey Burton Keir in Nashville, Tennessee, and on behalf of our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in the Windy City, this is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Learn to punt, Jackalope! (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. 
To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.